friends, let us join together in our call to worship. Holy God, we live in the beauty of your shalom. In your presence, all that divides us fades. Now we come to worship you and revere our glorious God. As Augustine reminds us, our hearts are restless until they rest in the Lord. So now we come to the time when we recognize that what aches our heart and disturbs our conscience 
indeed has a place close to God. In the act of confession, these things which make us anxious and remorseful need not make us fear. Because when we are near to God and when our shortcomings are given voice within shouting distance of God's heart, we know God's mercy and transformation are not far behind. So let us join together as those who are confident in the love of God. Let us pray together. Holy One, you are our provider, and yet we never cease from wanting more. We seek comfort in what we have and own, rather than courageously extending your grace. We refuse to break bread with those who oppose us or to offer it sufficiently to those in need. We see scarcity where you see abundance and hesitate when you call us to act boldly. But let your goodness and mercy move us toward repentance so that we might dwell with you and all people might flourish. Amen. The anxious heart need not stay in worry. The restless spirit can rest assured. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Believe this good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now, trusting in our reconciliation, our peace with God, we prepare to extend God's peace to one another. At this time, we welcome those of you in our community who are joining us online, worshiping with us from Topeka, Kansas, to Bluffton, South Carolina, Harbor Island, Bahamas, and points in between and beyond. And we ask that those of you joining us online take a moment to sign the digital pew pad, letting us know of your presence this morning and from where you are joining us. And now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us share God's peace with each other. grace and peace be with you all this morning and welcome to morning worship on this last Sunday in January 2024 at Fourth Presbyterian Church of Chicago. Wherever you are in this world or wherever you are in this life and whether you are here for one of your first times or call Fourth Church your spiritual home, we pray that you may find in this place a community that inspires, encourages, comforts, and grows you into the person the God of love has called all of us to be. 
We ask that if you are here in the sanctuary with us, that you would take this, this time to sign the pew pads at the end of your pews, pass them down to others, and then pass them back, noting the names of those next to you, not so that we might have a pop quiz, but that you might welcome each person near you by name before we leave the worship service today. You'll find that the kind of community we seek to have in this place is not just here during worship, but can be found throughout the week and in this season of life. So we invite you through the opportunities found in the second half of your worship bulletin to come and see indeed that fourth church and the Lord that we serve is good. Among the opportunities listed there, you will find a number of ways for us to learn and grow together and connect with each other, including a Michigan Avenue forum next week with best-selling author Robert P. Jones on the hidden roots of white supremacy and the future of American democracy. He'll be here this Wednesday evening, and then one of our Zoom small groups will discuss it in the weeks to come. You will also see there in your bulletins an invitation to keep in prayer for those in our community who depart this week to take part in our music trip to India. And we encourage you to participate in one of the long range planning sessions to offer your feedback to the proposed strategic directions and goals for our congregation. And if you can't attend one of these, please use the email address in your bulletins to send your responses to the task force. After our service today, we invite you to Anderson Hall through the doors to your left to join us for coffee, refreshments, and conversation. Again, welcome to Fourth Presbyterian Church. Thank you. 
Let us pray. You have declared that your kingdom is among us, O God. Now open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Listen now for God's word to us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, three days' walk across. Jonah began to go in the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Humans and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn his, from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. The word of God for the people of God. Jonah continues, listen to this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them and did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, 
for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So this is a preacher story. I was on an airplane and I was reading the Bible. I was reading Jonah and I was into it and I, I wasn't really aware that I was laughing out loud as I read. There was a woman seated next to me who could tell I was reading scripture and noticed that I was laughing and she seemed a bit concerned that I would be laughing at God's holy word. She probably assumed I was irreverent. I assumed she was Baptist. <laughs> but come on, this is a funny story. Jonah is called, he runs the other way to get his attention. God sends a storm enough to terrify the other sailors with whom Jonah is traveling. They toss him overboard, a fish eats him for dinner, and then a fish evidently uh, finding disobedient prophets to be somewhat like food poisoning, vomits Jonah up on the beach, and Jonah's happy about that. You can't read this with a straight face. It was then that the word of God came to Jonah a second time, and this time with the fish still fresh in his memory, Jonah decides to do what God calls him to do. He is obedient, but just barely. Jonah preaches, 40 days more and none of us shall be overthrown. That's it. Jeremiah needs 52 chapters, Ezekiel about the same, Isaiah rambles on for 66 chapters, but Jonah just has eight words. And the truth is, most folks ignored all those other guys. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, all the rest, most folks just ignored the prophets, but not Jonah. He speaks eight words, and the whole city of Nineveh comes singing, just as I am. Not only the people, but the king and the nobles, they fast and repent. And then it gets ridiculous as even the, the animals join in this act of repentance, fasting and wearing sackcloth. Be grateful it was not your job to fit oxen with sackcloth. As prophets go, Jonah should be in the hall of fame. But as we said last Sunday, Jonah would give an arm and a leg if God had called someone else to do this work. I can't help but wonder if God calls Jonah, not simply because Nineveh needs to hear what Jonah says, but because Jonah needs to be the one to say it. These enemies of Israel not only need to hear this word from the Lord, but it's Jonah who needs to preach the word of the Lord to his enemies. 
The citizens of Nineveh may need to learn who God is, but it's Jonah who needs to remember who God is. And Jonah feared this. He feared that what if the folks of Nineveh repent? Then God will forgive. And when that happens, and that's what happens, Jonah throws a temper tantrum like a two-year-old who's astonished to discover he's not always going to get his way, Jonah throws a fit. Not not to be fair, a temper tantrum of a two-year-old can sometimes be cute, as long as it's someone else's two-year-old. But Jonah is a full-grown man. It's not cute. He berates God. I knew you would do this. This is the very reason I went to Tarshish, because you were nothing but merciful and gracious. I can't stand it when your grace is poured out on the wrong people. Just kill me now. You would think that grace would be a good thing. But for Jonah, grace is a problem. Why is that? If I understand the text, it's because Jonah knows that the love of God is expansive, all-inclusive. There are no unimportant people to God. Jonah knows this in his head, but his worldview has been shaped by a different set of values. There's a teaching in the world that some folks matter more than others. Yes, everybody's God's child, but some folks matter more than others. Lord Grantham of Downton Abbey matters more than Bates. It's just the way of the world. This nation was built on that assumption, some folks matter more than others. Jonah's Israel was built on the same assumption. Some folks matter more than others. And Jonah is mad because the love of God challenges that assumption. The assumption he held that he is part of a chosen people means he matters more than his enemy. Jonah believes that grace is a good thing, but it needs limits. I get that. When I was in Kansas City, one evening we invited Sonia Wachorski to speak at our church. A a documentary film about her had just been released entitled Big Sonia. It is her story that was big. Sonia herself was not. She was tiny. If, If she carried her, she was so short that if she carried her groceries in those totes, you know, the totes dragged on the ground. How she saw over the steering wheel of her car is a miracle, I think. We had to build a box for her to stand on to speak from our lectern. But her courage was huge. She spoke of how almost all of her family were murdered in the Holocaust. She watched her own mother march to the gas chamber. Sonia turned right, her mother turned left. After enduring three different camps, she survived. She still had the serial numbers tattooed on her arm. She spoke for about an hour and she said that That most of her life, 
she had buried that part, that, that part of her story. She didn't speak to anyone about what she went through, about her heartbreak, her, the horrors, or her grief. But she changed her mind. She said she began to hear voices in contemporary America that sounded frighteningly similar to voices she heard as a child. And she decided she needed to tell her story. She spoke to us of how loving one another is the only way forward, that hatred must be set aside. After she spoke, she took some questions and someone in the congregation asked her, Sonia, after all you have lost, how can you forgive them? Sonia said, oh, you misunderstand. I have not forgiven them. I cannot forgive them. And then she said, God will have to do that. I cast no judgment on her feeling. She is stronger than I. Were I, I, I don't have any reason to believe I would be half as gracious and loving as Sonia had I experienced even a portion of what she has suffered. But I think she knew something that Jonah feared was true. There is no limit to God's grace. There are no unimportant people with God. Jonah knew that, and he hated it. It's interesting how when we are recipients of grace, it is amazing. It's also almost reasonable. Uh, when we are recipients of God's love, it is understandable. But to extend grace to everyone? You see, until this moment, Jonah could tell himself that he was different than they were. He could tell himself that he was better than them. He had objective experience. He could tell himself that his nation's wars were unfortunate but necessary. His enemy's wars, on the other hand, they were terrorism. Jonah's failings were regretful, but his intentions were good. His enemies, on the other hand, they were heartless and cruel. Until this moment, he could convince himself that he was more important to God than they were. But now God has treated them just like he's treated Jonah. They are the same and he cannot stand it. Jonah has lived like the relationship to God is an Olympic sport, and he's meddled and his enemies were disqualified. But it's obvious that in God's eyes, that distinction is not really there. It's troubling when grace is poured out on those who are deemed unworthy. But the real troubling, the real troubling lesson is that no one is really worthy that's why grace is grace. Jonah realizes the evil Ninevites in God's eyes are never completely evil and more shatteringly, the righteousness of Jonah is never completely righteous. He's not more important. He just shares a very common human attribute which is a kind of arrogance, 
not an arrogance of boastfulness, but an arrogance that believes at the end of the day, I really am more important than you. That kind of arrogance is always a spiritual problem. And so this is the challenge of this faith that we share. It challenges that basic assumption that humans carry, and that is, at the end of the day, I matter more than other folks. This is a story that teaches us we may not be able to love our enemies, but we should remember that God can and does. But it's not just about enemies. It's not. It's more basic than that. It's about any who get discounted, overlooked, passed by. When my son graduated from college, he moved to New York City. He got an apartment in Brooklyn. I hadn't been there yet, so I was asking him to describe me. So exactly where do you live? He said, Dad, the coolest neighborhood in the city is right here in Brooklyn, and I'm in an apartment just outside of that neighborhood. I said, son, that's the story of our lives. We ours. We always can see cool from where we are, but we've never really been there. When I went to high school, I went to high school with a student body of over 2,000 students in Atlanta, and, and I was, for the most part, invisible. I was at least three neighborhoods away from cool the whole time. But my junior year, I tried out for the school musical. We did West Side Story. I got cast as that, uh, that guy who was the leader of the Jets. You know, what was his name? Riff or Biff, Poof, something I don't remember. I had lines, I had to dance, I had to sing, get cool, boy. It was great fun. And when opening night concluded there in our little gymnasium, high school gymnasium, the audience rose to their feet and the applause were thunderous. When I came out to take my bow, it was remarkable. The walls were, I'm sure I remember this objectively. The, the, wall, the walls were shaking, they were. The next day, I walked through the halls of Lakeside High School a little bit slower, I did. I had a little bit of swagger in my step. The little people, the ninth graders, they came up. Was that you? You were amazing. I said, oh, well, it was nothing. For about three days, I convinced myself I was great. I walked among the ordinary people of modest talent. And like Fred Craddock said once, I had to hold on to the shrubbery to keep from ascending. The temptation to think you're better than someone else, that I am better than you, that I'm more important, it is a powerful seduction. Even now, all these years after high school, I must keep a watchful eye on that inner adolescent who hungers to matter. It's been a problem for a long time. The Greek philosopher Plato provided justification for this kind of thinking. It was the order of creation, Plato argued. People are ranked in importance. He ranked them uh, consistent with Olympic medals. He said they're, they're those people in society who are just kind of the bronze medal sold people. They're slaves and they're immigrants, they're servants. 
Above them are the silver-souled people. They are people such as warriors and such. They are the people who provide great service to the city. But the gold-souled people, they are the ones who think great thoughts. They are the ones who shape cultural life. They are the most important among us. How convenient for Plato the philosopher to deem that the most important people in the world were philosophers. The world has been ranking people for a long time. And Jonah may not have been an obedient prophet, but he was a really good theologian. And he knew that God does not rank us. There are no unimportant people with God. There are lots of people for whom the world has given them very little reason to believe that they matter. There are lots of people for whom the world has given very little reason for them to believe they are loved by God. They move through this world that ranks them as unimportant. They move through this world hated or just invisible. That's why it's the church's job to tell them that they matter. They need to know that they are loved by God, that there are no unimportant people with God. That word might just save their life. And maybe just as importantly, it will be important for us as the church to be reminded that the love of God includes all. God does not rank us. There are no unimportant people with God. Remembering that might just save our lives. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
moment to engage in the commissioning of a new Stephen minister in our congregation. Every Christian is called to care for others. We are. And our Stephen ministry is a powerful way to several of us have committed to living out that care. Today, we are specifically recognizing our new, newest Stephen minister, one who organizes, teaches, and supervises, and, and uh, one who organizes, teaches, and supervises our Stephen ministers, the trained caregivers who provide high-quality one-to-one care to hurting people in our congregation and community. I invite our new Stephen leader, Robert Crouch, to step forward. You have been trained at a Stephen Ministry Leaders Bridge training course and have been asked to serve as a Stephen leader at Fourth Church. You are a gift of God to us, helping lead this ministry of equipping and caring. Thanks be to God. As part of the priesthood of all believers, All of us Christians are called to offer ourselves to our Lord in thanksgiving for what God has done and continues to do for us in Jesus Christ. It is also our privilege to recognize and support those who are trained for specific ministries in this congregation, including our leader team Deborah Zach, Arlene Rain, and Kathy Flock. And we recognize and affirm Stephen Ministry, and now our new Stephen leader, Robert Crouch. Because of your gifts, Robert, your calling, and your training, we charge you with these responsibilities. To spread the word about our Stephen ministry, educate people about what it involves, and cast a vision for this crucial ministry. To carefully recruit, select, and train congregation members with the gifts, talents, and character to serve as Stephen ministers. To draw on the resources of our congregation and community to enrich the training and supervision of Stephen ministers in this congregation. To work with the pastoral staff and leaders of this congregation to identify members who could benefit from the confidential caring ministry. To match hurting people with Stephen ministers based on what will best meet their needs. And to supervise these confidential caring relationships and offer regular opportunities for continuing growth in the skills and practice of caring ministry. Robert, I ask you now to respond to these questions. Will you assume this ministry in the confidence that it comes from God? If so, respond, yes, with the help of God. Yes, with the help of God. Robert, will you nurture the skills you have learned 
and use them in service to others to support, encourage, and build up people, and to enable excellent care while trusting yourself in God's healing. Yes, with the help of God. And I ask you, the congregation, members of Fourth Church, will you open your hearts to the ministry of this Stephen leader and pray for him as a servant of Christ? If so, answer yes, with the help of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have called Robert to a new path in caring ministry. You have gifted and empowered him for this task. Grant him joy in service and a spirit of bold trust in you that his ministry may stir us to greater caring and more fruitful service. Help us all to be both willing servants and thankful recipients of this ministry that your name may be glorified, your people live in peace, and your good and gracious will be done through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may we as your people say together, Amen. Amen. And I'm now pleased to invite all past and current Stephen ministers and Stephen leaders in our congregation to stand to receive our blessing. May the Lord of the church uh, fill you with the Holy Spirit, guide, bless, and keep you so that your faithfulness in this ministry uh, may abide this ministry to which you have been called, gifted, trained, and sent. Amen. I invite everyone to stand as together we affirm what, our, what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed as we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to point out the opportunity that any among us have following our service who wish for a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to pray with one of our deacons. You may gather in the stone chapel, which is just to the right of the pulpit, and you'll be warmly greeted and wrapped in prayer. We are delighted to acknowledge a change 
two changes in the life of our congregation as represented by the red roses in the chancel. They represent the births of Cordelia Schmitz, child of Zach and Samantha Schmitz, who was born on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2024. And we are pleased at the birth of Spencer Lennox Manny, child of Kate Lennox and Grant Manny, who was born on January 4th of this year. Thanks be to God for new life in our midst. Let us center our hearts in a spirit of prayer. Let us pray. O Holy One, we lift before you familiar words with renewed urgency. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Holy One, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In so many ways, we are blessed to be a blessing. May we share those blessings in equipping the good work of this church to build the kingdom of God brick by brick through the generosity of your gifts. Our offerings may now be received.
pray these gifts may be infused with your grace and loving kindness through the power of the Holy Spirit. May the hungry be fed, the thirsty be refreshed, the lonely find kinship, the seekers find insight, and the downtrodden be raised up in witness to the gospel. Amen. As we go, remember this, God does not just love, God loves you. It is a love that calls you by name, it is a love that will never let you go.
Let that love encourage and inspire you to do the good that is yours to do this week, to share the love that is yours to share, and trust that God will use that to lead us to God's promised day. And now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of God's Spirit rest and abide with us all, now and forever. Amen.